Uh, I don't know really about the uh, why the unions have maintained their power other than... Let's it's, ignore that. It's, Let's very, ignore it's that very hard to drive a train. Cause yeah. Because it, it, it's, it's roots in the UK. In a, abroad, signals are speed. In the UK, they're not. They're geographic. Oh, there we go. So, so now we've already... We've so so in, the U, in the UK, you have to know the road. So it's very hard to recruit a driver because it'll take you a year or so to get them to, up to speed. And hence, lots of the challenges at the moment are because of driver training. Exactly. Well, that's the intro. So, um, Bob Gwynn is here, everyone. <laughs> Good evening, everyone. It's a real matter. Um, we're just, so we have... This, this episode is going to be a discussion of kind of some questions based on... Oh, some questions based on past historical episodes. We've done episodes on, like... I think the, the one that's very popular is the alternative history of what would happen, and we'll get to this, the alternative history of what would happen if APT had succeeded. Imagine that it had succeeded, how would it have maybe changed things? And I painted a picture of it maybe not being quite as like all everything wonderful as, as you might have imagined, because it might have ended up with a, even less of a local railway than we currently have. Anyway, that's for the, we'll get there. But um, Bob, Bob Gwynn is here. Bob, you are, the, the, the official title is Associate Curator. Associate Curator yeah. at the National Rail Museum. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and, and you've, just, you've just been wandering around doing Curator with a Camera, which yeah, yeah. is a very popular series on YouTube. Go watch it if you don't. Yeah, They're brilliant yeah. fun. Um, so without further ado, uh, everyone, welcome to tonight's Rail Matter. As the Intercity 225 fades away and the, the noises from the construction work echo around us, uh, it's happening, you know, it's all happening. Bob, thanks so much for joining us. We've been meaning to have a chat on Rail that for absolutely ages. Uh, indeed, yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we just kind of got around to it. Um, we've got other discussions to have about, about computers and railways and, and tops, which I know is a very requested episode theme, so we'll get there. But the questions, because otherwise we'll end up talking for two or three hours. Yeah, yeah. So we're gonna kind of kind of do this in like episode order. The first, like the episode two of, of, of official rail matter was about 158s because I have a soft spot for them because they everyone has a soft spot for the trains they grew up with when they were a kid, the trains they saw. <laughs> I'm a kid who grew up with 158s in Inverurie, right, so okay. so I had 158s going back and forth. I think at the time they still had uh, regional railways hybrid livery before uh, yeah. ScotRail had, had, had kind of done the purple and green situation, but. Um, in that episode, there was an obvious gap. So there's a big gap in procurement of diesel units yeah, yeah. after kind of the, the, the sort of first, second gen stuff. And then there's a big gap. And then you got like the 210 trial, yeah. which didn't really go anywhere. And then to be honest, pacers were next on the agenda. Yeah. And then the sprinters arrived. So what was that gap about? Did it, was, was, it, was it just kind of that they renewed lots of stuff? And then, like modernization, post modernization, there was a gap. What, what happened with that? No, I think it's just the fact that those things that were built in the modernization plan were, were actually quite good at what they did. Yeah, yeah, okay, and, yeah. And, yeah. The, and the, the procurement of vehicles was very difficult mm. under Treasury rules for, for the railway. So, basically, what changes? Yeah. <laughs> but what changes? So, basically, how were they going to um, upgrade things? It was only at the point where they were absolutely knackered. Mm. Yeah, that yeah. they started getting funding uh, to upgrade and even then of course the Pacers was a bargain basement attempt to replace this network yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and at the time the Pacers came in and people tend to forget 
it was propping up the bus industry the paces that was the idea yeah, yeah. you know so you know procurement was hard on on new units so it's so actually so that so that gap really was because most stuff that needed replacing had been replaced at that point like had so by the time you got to the end of the mid kind of the mid 60s i think was the was where that gap started yeah uh, so you'd got by that point it's kind of post-modernization units but they were like mark one based yeah, yeah. multi units yeah, yeah. and then they didn't need anything else because they kind of renewed it all or it was local hall at yeah. that time yeah still. that's okay. right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. And you, i mean <clears throat> once you got your mark two d's the air-conditioned carriages not the Mark II Bs, the ones that open and drop it. Yeah. Um, then uh, you basically had your Intercity, didn't you? Yeah. Uh, yeah and yeah. actually, Intercity, people tend to forget they um, you got cascading from the HSTs. So that once you got cascading, you, you know you had some regional services would be um, uh, bombing around with thirty sevens or whatever. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Like, uh, like. You know, so. Uh, a lot of things that are run with units now weren't run with units then. Yeah. You know? yeah. So um, it took a while before those things themselves got too old. Yeah. You know? so uh, then, and then you and then and then suddenly and, and, and kind of and we'll get to the pacer question because there's just interesting discussion about pacers later. But pacers kind of came about in a bit of a panic. So it was like, oh, 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 yeah, we need to do this. And the 210 was thought that that was going to be the solution. Then it yeah. didn't. Yeah, that, yeah. that that didn't what 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 do you think with the issue the 210 is the one that was kind of it was a multiple unit but it had the engine within the yeah like it, half it, the it's, vehicle it's like a um it's like what you get abroad basically yeah. the, the the engine is above the floor yeah and it was in a mark three shell wasn't yeah, it? yeah that's it yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. um it's a shame that, up in ireland it's a shame that never went anywhere in the uk because that would have been a very comfortable and quiet train yes it would have it was pretty powerful yeah. there's some interesting stats we went through with kevin who was here earlier actually yeah. with, the, with the residential and um, kevin tennant talking about the costs of the 210 versus the pacers and then versus the sprinters and it's yeah. quite interesting but anyway that was in yeah. the pacers okay yeah. so there we go so a question considered so we talk about train procurement and the challenges of train procurement. There's, there's probably, other than maybe the IETs, there, there are few, I mean, probably there's been no other more laborious procurement process than the advanced passenger train. Um, uh, yeah, well, it, if you could for talk, reasons. About, talk about the IET, I'd quite oh, yeah. like to know what they actually cost oh, UK don't. PLC. I mean, it, the, the statement that, it, they, that they are the fa that they're most expensive train fleet that, that, that the UK has ever seen possibly one of the most expensive train fleets per vehicle in the world that's true like by by a decent whack it was not an efficient this isn't necessarily reflecting on the IETs themselves but it's a reflection on the approach that was taken to their procurement yeah, yeah. Um, and, and you know so for, for example things like the retroactive turning of them from electric so the, the Great Western fleet the turning that from being a electric only fleet to a hybrid uh, fleet cost 1.3 billion pounds on the contract there is an extension of the contract by 1.3 billion pounds which is that's an extension to so that gives you an idea of the orders of magnitude of the yeah yeah, yeah. interesting approach and so, again it's not a reflection on the trains it's a reflection on the the approach that was taken to their financing their procurement that, yeah yeah uh, not which, efficient. which is a yeah normal lawyer's charter which, yeah. is, what, <laughs> is, a, <laughs> which yeah. is what we're sat in at the moment yeah, yeah quite so um so the APT episode, as, as, as we were alluding to earlier in the, in the cold open, was, has been one of the more popular, if not the most popular history episode. Right. Because people were quite interested on the fact that it wouldn't have been all magic and, and roses and pixie dust had APT succeeded. Um, it kind of in the episode, we, point, we looked at the fact that um, 
actually you'd have ended up with a more an entrenchment of intercity only type passenger services because it would have been they'd have been good services but in order for them to work better you close more just like happened during west coast route mod you close into more intermediate stations you'd, or have, you at least you'd have had to push it. services off the west yep. coast main line yeah and apt reminds me of concord yeah it's the railways concord and concord was supposed to fly you right around the world you know you're going to fly to Rio in five hours and you're going to fly to Australia and whatever and it never happened yeah uh, all it ended up was flying celebrities between New York and London <laughs> you know and, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and you wonder whether the APT would only really have affected um, London Manchester and the rest of it would be in a, a poor state afterwards uh, because until you had East Coast mainland electrification you were never going to get um, economies of scale, really, from introducing the fleet. Yeah, if, a, even if the fleet worked well, yeah, absolutely. which it did not. So yeah, so 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 yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. I was just some of those thoughts about like the 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 shape of services would have been quite different. You know, we 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 actually. So I often make the case when I'm talking about policy, present policy. The UK, and you might have a view on this. The UK is actually really good at intercity services. We have really good intercity services. They're very frequent. Compared to a oh, lot yes, of mainland, yeah, you're yeah. very frequent. We also have really quite good rural services. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, you, you look at the level of service frequency in, in, some, in like, Kurur, it's like, there is a fairly frequent rail service well, there, well, relatively well, yeah, speaking. Yeah, go to and somewhere in middle France. You uh, would not have that level of service. You have a train a day. Yeah. The thing that the UK is bad at is suburban transport so um the former pte areas but generally just suburban rail transit and in a way that's a function of our good intercity services because because we've not built new lines yeah, yeah. you have to sacrifice the, the the inner city suburban stuff yeah and so you know outside of the m25 we don't have a good suburban you know the fact that pacers ended up running high density suburban services in around greater manchester is is yeah but, it, it, but it's down. also a factor that you've not been electrified yeah okay, i mean yeah, it's yeah. utterly absurd to come out of York to go round to Harrogate, and first thing you're you're on totalist block working on a single <laughs> yeah, line yeah. beyond Poppleton. Yeah, it's like uh, the, the ruralist of rural railways. Yeah, and, immediately, and, and, yeah. And, and on a heavy commuting line. On a heavy commuter line, um, as far as Harrogate, which is a fringe box for for the Rock. Yeah, it's yeah, ridiculous. Yeah. yeah, like anyone who's anyone of like current and indeed retired railway people, like there's a British Rail sink like pretty much entirely prop Poppleton up. Because it's, it's just like it's like railway metropolis over there. Lots of retirees live in Poppleton on that line. Yeah, yeah. And very popular for coming into commuting into York. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, park and ride, utterly absurd. Which field do you buy to build a park and ride? You buy the one the other side of the of the, the road, not the one next to the next station. To the station yeah. And the one next to the station takes you into town, no matter what the traffic is doing. Yes. In five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and that's kind of planning. That kind of typifies the planning across, yeah. across certainly England yeah. and, and, to, yeah, and, 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 and reality across yeah, the and, UK. And, and so if the suburban services have, have um, not done well, it's mainly because they haven't been electrified. Yeah. And you can see that on the Wirral where, you know, Chester, uh, Chester Hooton was electrified, I can't remember, not really so long ago. And the franchisees at the time were trying to get electrified up to Wrexham, up the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Binston yeah. Wrexham line, and they could not agree it because the prices were something like they were Dutch uh, franchise at the time, and they said we're not paying. This is like, forget what it was, five times what it would be in the Netherlands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you think, well, hang on a second, you need to get a grip on this because if you electrify the railway, the f- trades are more frequent, yep. less likely to break down, and, and less much, like 
massively more reliable, massively cheaper to maintain, yeah. fuel costs yeah. evaporate. Yeah. Um, they're less hard on the track, so your track maintenance per yeah. kilometer goes down. Like, just a win-win. Interesting. They've done work on the on for TFW on Wrexham Bidston. Watch that space. Um, and yeah, the fact that it's not electrified is a is a challenge. And yeah. batteries aren't the savior. They do. There's some opportunities, but they are not the savior. Anything that's high density. Well, is it the three the three Fs that I like to say with electrification? If you have fast services, if you have frequent services, or if you have freight services, yeah. you need wires. Yeah, like yeah. That's, that's the, the yeah, equation yeah. is that simple. The Lancashire and Yorkshire thought of this in 1904. Yeah. O'Brien yeah, yeah. electrified, oh, you know, yeah. uh, Little Southwood, 1904. Why? Because it's shorter headways, rapid acceleration. That's even before Crosby and things were, were big suburbs. You know. we, we need to do it. At some point, there needs to be a, a, an exploration of uh, the way the Midland Railway killed electrification <laughs> in, in, in yeah. Britain and yeah. slowed electrification down yeah. quite dramatically. Yeah, yeah. There's some interesting, there's some interesting historical yeah. shenanigans there with the sacking of of o is it o it is O'Brien, not O'Brien. It's O'Brien. The sacking of, uh, of H O'Brien and his boss yeah. when the LMS formed. Uh, interesting yeah. shenanigans there. Yeah. Um, uh, the book is quite good. I've got it on my shelf behind my normal spot behind me. The the, the, the his 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 biography is behind yeah. me. So yes. Um, Jumping from VL uh, back over to the Y and then northwards a bit, we did an episode on Morpeth oh, um, yeah, yeah. a while back. Yeah. And I was talking about just the fact that it's this ridiculous great kink in, 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 yeah, yeah. in sort of uh, on the East Coast mainline. Why is that kink there? Because it's a pretty straight railway other than that. Well, where it's 125 get... miles an hour either side, basically. Yeah, but the infrastructure is still whatever it is, 1850 yeah. or something. Yeah. You know, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and uh, you know, in those days, um, when the roads were the speed of a cart, or if you're galloping, maybe you do 12 miles an hour or something, uh, you know, you needed to build your shareholders of yeah. the of the Newcastle and Berwick Railway, so you need to go to all the main centres. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you look at where the railway goes, it goes to just the other side of the river from the historic core of Morpeth. Yeah. The fact that it has to do a great bend to get yeah. there <laughs> is neither here nor there. If you've got a locomotive... Yeah, trains are at full speed around that curve until... Yeah, you know, not that long ago. No, so yeah, you've, so. got, you've got a low code carriages that's doing sort of thirty mile an hour if you're lucky. You know, um, that's not a problem. Yeah, yeah. You know, modern, modern day and age again, don't make any sense. You could build a bypass yeah. easily. Yeah. If that was a road, you'd build a bypass. And we have, yeah, exactly. I'm so glad you say that. We've made such a comfortable habit of, I call them forgotten bits. There are so many little kinks yeah. of road left all over the place. You see yeah. them all over the place. Yeah, yeah. Like, and, and it's not just from, from Thatchery or Road to Prosperi Pros uh, Prosperity or before that. The, the, the bypasses of little kinks were being done in the 20s and 30s, you know, well, way the, yeah, I stuff mean, and, the, and the, um, the major start of road building is the trunk roads program in in the 30s yeah. and that bypasses towns and it builds bridges where there were crossings and Gets so rid on of all the little kinks yeah, and, and, and yeah. you know let's talk w.o bentley graduate of doncaster works under the great northern what's he famous for is driving around those blower bed trees with leather straps over the bonnet where's he testing them on the a1 yeah, yeah, yeah. you know yeah. so that it's interesting that we've done that with roads and yet there's so little consideration of, of working out funny reverse curves or kinks and, and, and or building diversions like going around Morpeth, which which in a way would be good because you could turn kind of turn Morpeth into a bit of a terminal station at yeah. the end of a suburban link down into the body well, of well, Tyne and Weir. So unlike Starbridge Town, Starbridge Junction, isn't it? You know, it would be difficult. Yeah. I mean, the only question is, why didn't they go into Annick? 
and presumably that's because Lord Percy said, <laughs> "Stuff you, we don't want <laughs> you don't want you anywhere around it." You know. Yeah, that's it. Oh my goodness. So okay, so throughout the the kind of the the, the second half of the twentieth century, there weren't lots of nice railway bypasses. Maybe one or two diversions. We'll get there. But what was happening was lots of innovations. Now the railways often get lumbered with, and it irritates the heck out of me. That you often say, "Oh, the railways is it's not an innovative space. It's not an innovative space for all sorts of reasons." You and I, I think, share the opinion that that is just a historical nonsense. It's just not true. The railway is actually... Yeah, it's, it's part of the narrative. There's been a narrative in the UK now for many years to talk the railways down. Yeah. If you're interested in railways, you're clearly not serious. Yeah. And um, the railways, I'm afraid, suffer a little bit from the Thomas the Tank Engine narrative, yeah, yeah, yeah. which basically any headline, you know, it, it's, you know... And runs out of steam, hits the buffers, and yeah, all this negative all this language. Yeah. But a lot of it's kind of Thomas the Tank Engine. The fat controller is dealing with this, and he's gone to sleep or whatever. And if it's the narrative of the nursery, why would you take it seriously yeah. now? And that really is a break on things, which doesn't make any sense because you can't do without the railways in a developed economy. You just can't. Absolutely fundamental. And, and uh, yeah, we've taken the railways unseriously for a, for a very for a long, long time. Okay. One of the things that I think is interesting to look at, and I, I, I want to, when I'm back from Patley and, and, and wandering around a bit more, I want to pick up on, sort of spotlight a few of the, the BRE innovations. We've yeah. got the double arrow behind us. Yeah. Um, one of those innovations, which, is, which was ahead of its time, and we didn't, we've used it in a few places, but we didn't really run with it in the way that we could have, is Slab Track. Oh, yeah. Uh, packed, PACT, um, you know, was was an example of of some of, of one of the BR innovations that was kind of ahead of its time, and and actually then got picked up and run with by the the Austrians and the Germans yeah. more than, than than we did in the UK. What what do you think about the difference in rates of innovation pre and post railways at ninety three, and and if you like actually before that because the British Rail Research was privatised before the railways act, wasn't it? So do you think there's a difference in the rates of innovation, the ability to infiltrate innovations into a fragmented industry compared yeah, to before. Yes, mu- it seems to be much harder because the first of a kind uh, developments, the, the seed corn funding for those things is not particularly high. Yeah. And it's hard to see where they're actually coming through. Okay, there's some of those are sort of apps and things, th- things to do with the passenger interface. Yeah. But the hard-wired engineering side takes a lot of work yeah. a, a, and a lot of testing and so on. Thankfully, there's a few people investing in testing facilities now. Got yeah, the, the universities are, are kind of yeah. are finally being able to take yeah, it, empowered yeah. to take well, the mantle and, of BR research. And the one in Wales is going to be enormous. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, um, and, uh, you know, the one in Dudley for, for light rail yeah. and so on. So there's a bit of that going on now, but it's kind of reinventing the wheel. It is, and it, I'm glad you said because the other thing I found is for research and development to, to stick and innovation to stick, you need good corporate memory. You need a good framework for corporate memory. And, uh, and in my experience across quite a lot of innovation is reinventing the wheel. Like a good example is that Network Rail were getting very excited about 125 mile an hour handback after engineering works. And I had two of my senior colleagues in the permanent institution going, we did that on the Eastern region quite a number of years ago, <laughs> nearly 40 years ago, yeah, in yeah. fact, with, yeah. with, with dynamic track stabilizers and all the stuff that people are talking about as new yeah. that are not new. So yeah. that, that corporate memory feels like an important thing. And again, with a fragmented industry, yeah. corporate memory is much harder to hold on to and retain. Well, I, I mean, I've walked around with Network Rail Apprentices here in the museum and pointed stuff out to them, which they were really very surprised mm. because, you know, the, the normal means of travel by most people these days is the car. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, and most of our railway experience is as commuters. And as I was saying to some people only this morning, I said, if you think about the difference between uh, your railway experience on the, the ordinary railway, I don't mean heritage railways, but the ordinary railway, generally you're a commuter. Yep. And generally if you're a commuter, you're going to work. And who likes to go to work? Yeah, so that association builds. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, yeah, so, okay. so it's very hard to get a positive vibe from a commuter service. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, we're going to talk about standard gauge track. Oh. This, is, this is a quick one, but why do you think the Roman chariots, which don't really exist, and horses bum myth perpetuates? Why do you think it still continues to be a thing despite well, uh, being know, debunked uh, repeatedly? Uh, uh, you have me on a very sore point here because I think classicism, uh, the study of classics, uh, has basically gone on are too long for too high a level in <laughs> okay, British yeah. history and we ignore yeah. the history pre-Roman um, and we, we don't really notice it. They've only just listed the Thornborough Henges. The Thornborough Henges are the largest religious site in Britain. Most people have never heard of them. Nope, literally I have not heard uh, of them. And, and uh, at one stage until recently the local quarry were going to quarry right up to the edge of them. It, and it's You've heard of Avebury? This is like three Av Averys in a line, in the middle of the plain out by Ripon. And that kind of attitude mm. to the ancient past prevails, whereas had that been a Roman villa, yeah. they'd have been all over it's, it. It's because that, that, the, the copy-paste-to-email-repeat thing that does the rounds, you know, that, that, that gets debunked constantly, mentions the idea of Roman roads being the first it's like what no long distance well paved long distance roads have existed long before Roman roads yeah, 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 yeah. in the UK you know there are long distance paths that well, well predate the, the well the, the ridgeway is you, know, ridgeway you, is, you is can walk the example. ridgeway yeah. right now and it's, yeah. it's how is it 3,000 years something like that yeah easily you it's know, um, very very old yeah, it's, it's, it, yeah so that's it so you think the classicism and that yeah. desire to continue harking back to classicism yeah yeah, yeah. well basically when you get the uh, modern cities developing what do they stick on the reliefs on the council offices and things they, they're nearly all roman gods roman or, stuff, or yeah. greek gods and people go on about doric columns and all the, the different capitals and all the rest of it you know um birmingham is a good example the heart of municipal socialism yeah and uh, look yeah, yeah. look at the town hall yeah you know <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. it That's looks true. like a roman <laughs> temple true. yeah oh so so you know that kind of level and therefore, was it serious before the Romans were around in Britain? Well, yeah. don't know. It's interesting. There's these themes of like unseriousness being associated with, sort of like classic classicism, serious railways, not serious. Pre-classicism, sort of the history that made the country what it was before the Romans arrived. No, not and, and therefore had a big influence on what it was when the Romans left. Not not serious. Well, yeah. and, you know, you walk around past, you know, round here we've got. Um, Prehistoric monuments. Uh, Borough Bridge is a great example. Borough Bridge, it's Devil's Arrows. Yeah, yeah, Devil's yeah. I showed a Chinese lad there once, and of course, Chinese the Celestial Empire. Mm. Nothing of worth has ever existed before China. And he stood in front of this one of the Devil's Arrows. He said, "What is this?" I said, "Well, we don't really know." He said, uh, "What's it for?" I said, "Well, it's some kind of alignment, and they believe probably it's aligned with some star system or something." He said. I said, but we don't, really, we don't know. He said, how old is it? I said, well, I forget what it was, uh, 4,000 years yeah. or something like that. And he, 
you could see his head going, and he's thinking, no, Anya, that is before the Celestial Empire, yeah, as, yeah, as yeah. it were. That doesn't compute. Yeah. I, I had no idea. Well, I thought the Brits all walked around with top hats and carried umbrellas. <laughs> and this does not compute. But that seriousness, but we've, the, we've, that history, we've just we've, not explored it. Not we've not explored it. it. And it's just there. It's all around you. Mm. And, and it's worth thinking about. Uh, you know, Julian Cope, bless him, was one of the few guys who shouted loudly about this. This ties into early railways a little bit because yeah. there's an element, a, a microcosm for that within the railways. The railways, and we're all, you know, the railway industry is going to be guilty of it in, in, in 2025 because um, much as it is an absolute important milestone, don't want to take away, for me, the important milestone is five years later if we're going to talk about modern railways, but that's another far discussion. Away, yeah, far <laughs> yeah, away, yeah. Yeah. yeah, But um, first public railroads by some definition. But anyway, it's before, we were talking about this and I was yeah. alluding to the fact you were running around doing your uh, 400 actually not in this episode and another episode is coming out soon I'm recording everything today I'm very confused uh, you do your 400 years in 40 minutes yeah. which um, uh, at some point maybe we should do that that could be a fun 40 minutes episode or maybe it's a secret Bob thing that you yeah, just do oh it's a secret Bob thing sorry when you don't get it exclusive <laughs> anyway um, the railways you know pre yeah. Stockton Darlington there's a bit of a that's an unserious period in railway we don't seem to discuss that and again it ties into this idea of linearity that you got canals then you got railways no, no there was a symbiotic relationship yeah, between yeah, canals yeah. and railways they built each other yeah well you go, you go meet the, uh, the great Les Turnbull at Newcastle who's really this historian of the, um, the Newcastle Way, the, the wagonways in the Newcastle area, he'll point out to you things like Kitty's Drift, which is the oldest underground railway of any distance. Incredible, yeah. And people, there, there's eyewitness accounts of travelling up Kitty's Drift from the 18th century. You know, and, and it goes right underneath Newcastle. It's still there on certain times of the year. They have guided tours down it. Really? I, I, I will be looking up how to get on one of those. You know, and, but yeah, it's yeah, the, the, you know, the, the Causey Arch. Yeah. I mean, the Causey Arch, thankfully these days, most of the documentaries start with the Causey Arch. So you do get a bit about the, the, the wagonways, which is helpful. And the Causey Arch, massive structure, even yeah, to this day. Yeah. And, you know, and approaching it in massive embankments. And the statistics for wagons going over it, something like once... Oh. Once every 40 seconds or something, it's ridiculous. Incredibly intensively yeah. used bit of railway. You know, yeah, and yeah, and yeah. so, you know, all those ways with which the railway later developed post-Doctor to Darlington, they'd already worked out how to build trestle viaducts and long embankments and all, all the rest that, of yeah, it, you yeah, know. Yeah, so, absolutely. you know, I mean, I, I, I'm sure you know this, the, the first known employee of a railway is Widow Howborn on the Wickham Wagonway. And, and she's a gatekeeper, right? So the first known employee of a railway is a woman, yeah. and she's a gatekeeper. In other words, she's controlling the interface between the wagonway and the road. So, effectively, that signaling and control has always, yeah, it's always been, been at the heart of the railway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, this, is, this is what this chat was always going to be about just fascinating little intrigues and, and explorations early railway history is something I desperately want to pick into and yeah. you know, we've talked about it a lot well, it's, it's worth going up to Newcastle and get, get an older get, get, Les, get Les because he's quite um, forceful in his mm. approach to why it's important he'll be pushing an open door absolutely because yeah. it, it is so critical and it, and it helps with the context it, it, it also helps with the, the international element it, I, much as 
Britain's development of railways, development of modern railways, absolutely lots of, we can be proud that that sort of element happened. But the reality is that happened because of lots of other nation, other nations' inputs and other parts of the world's inputs to provide, yeah. you know, Germans sent us bits of railway in the, 16, in the late 1500s, you know, all these things. It's, it, it was an international endeavour. I think that's important for us not to perhaps overclaim the railways. The, the, well, the endeavour seems to be an international endeavour. I mean, why does Mallard work so well? Mallard works so well because Gresley was mates with Chaperon. And the streamlining that really counts on, on Mallard is the internal streamlining of the steam passages, which is something Gresley got from Chaperon. Nice. Yep. And also, the, I think Andy McLean pointed out that the chimney is a US in. Like it might, I might have got that wrong, but there's elements of it that were borrowed then from US locomotive design yeah. to. to and, yeah, and well, it's, 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 it's Caltap exhaust, so it's part Finnish, part French exhaust. Okay, yeah. You know, the engineers worth their salt actually look at engineering and, and it isn't national not really bounded by national not, borders not it's, it's, by it's, national yeah, borders yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and that's an important thing I mean to understand that all around the railway history there's that other element of people looking out, out with and overseas yeah absolutely um, out with and overseas moving swiftly to um, <laughs> not looking outwards and looking inwards and kind of what really started as a bit of a let's say internal thought piece on the back of a napkin of what you could do with HSFV the, the high-speed freight vehicles and ended up being a fleet of diesel multiple units that, that yeah. have rather out that, that you could argue rather outlived their um, their original purpose why why did they end up so there's, there's, there's a bit of a disconnect because it was to my mind the history of it appears to be and Kevin Tennant and I did a Pacer episode well worth watching it seemed like it was a thought experiment. It's a bit of a, oh, what could you do with HSFV1? And that ended up getting grabbed and run with in a way that they were suddenly the future of diesel multiple units in a way that Wiccans and others had never envisaged. No. So what, what do you think happened there? Do you, do, do, like, and speculation encouraged. Well, I mean... Was it a vacuum of that? Was it a little bit as a result of the sudden panic of, oh, we need multiple units and we've not really thought about it. The 210 is seeming expensive. We need something else. What, uh, what do you think I, was, I think Alan Wiccans... The, the HSFV1 was genuinely intended to speed up freight. Yeah. And, and um, in the end, freight would not pay for improved um, um, suspensions on their wagons. So uh, you kind of had this technology that, that, despite feeding into APT, which in turn fed into the design of all, basically all modern... All, all high-speed rail... Yeah, all uh, of it, your anyway, damper yeah. design is, yeah, yeah. is through, is through yeah, Wiccans yeah. And, and HSFV1 enabled yeah. that. But you did have all these... Like the, the, the pure age, like you look at the bottom of the pacer, it's like, oh, that's HSF, that's high speed yeah, freight. Yeah, I've been on the pacer with the guy who designed it, <laughs> you know, so, so yeah, it was quite entertaining. But that, on that occasion, I was going up to, we were launching the APT as an IMEC-E uh, designated thing. Ah, yeah, it's got the plaque, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I was on the train coming up from Darlington to Shildon, and I heard everybody talking, and... Uh, and they, they were all the team that had designed HSFV1 and APT, including uh, Dr. Alan Wickens was there. Mm. I heard them all talking and thought, I got a second, Wickens has got to be here. Uh, and sure he walked, so I introduced myself and, uh, and uh, I was very pleased to walk into Shildon 
with somebody else who I, I reckon changed the world. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Well, you know? I, I think you and Ant agree on the fact that if, if we're talking about engineers who had fundamental, Trevithick, Stevenson's yeah. bracket around the S, yeah. and Wickens, yeah, yeah, right? Those yeah. are the three. Those, um, my, those are my three, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah on the railway side, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, so, Pacers. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's strange that they ended up being thought of as this yeah, future. But, and, and but, but it, the Pacers, they were trying to prop up British Leyland yeah, buses. Yeah, of course, that context is key, isn't it? They're yeah, trying yeah, to prop, yeah. you know, they're trying to prop up British Leyland buses. Um, they've got this thing that they think will produce a, a high speed, let's face it, you know, the, the underframe is good for high speed. Yep. They think will produce a high speed um, rail vehicle for passenger services um, but the body itself you can you can basically just output the bodies from Workington stick them on the underframe <laughs> yeah, yeah. and you've got a very cheap con construction at a time when um, the railways uh, carriage you know Litchurch Lane and things still regarded them as bespoke carriage makers yeah yeah you know? so they, they still weren't thought of as a, a yeah. factory process to yeah, output I mean, high, high rates had a running production. with the people from Derby saying you're not you're not you're not working to the drawing yeah. you know oh but you know but we we're, we're carriage makers you know yeah, and, yeah. Uh, so they still had that idea and we restored the uh, the two hat one car of the two hat a few years ago now and what one of our guys working on it couldn't believe because it was built to the era of welding and all the rest yeah. of it. Every single window frame was different. <laughs> yeah, this is that's yeah. A mass production is seemingly something we've never quite got our heads around. And well, <laughs> so you can until see, the Japanese came and well, well, so <laughs> got you, stuck in. So you can see the, the the pace of the idea that you're buying something off a jig that's been made for a bus, but you can stick it in a rail vehicle. There's an appeal to that. It has an yeah. appeal because and, it's, it's kind of breaking that mould. And it, it was seen as, you know, we, we have that view now that it was a knackered old bus, you yeah. know, places. But the reality is all the literature, all the imagery, whether it's Leyland generated or BR generated or the kind of combined stuff, was all that this was the future. It was futuristic. It was actually tapping into some of the high speed elements that you talk yeah, about. It just was, yeah. So you can kind of see, I can kind of understand how yeah. that might, it's like, oh no, that's the future. What, what alternative yeah. is there until the sprinter development started? Yeah, I mean, if, it, if, it had, if those trains had only lasted 20 years, um, then you might have less of a problem. And I think the other issue so is that they ended up running suburban services instead of yes. the services that they probably should have, which is rural services. Yeah. But they weren't actually designed to run the long diagrams of rural services. No. So they ended up on suburban stuff, which they weren't no. suitable for. They long outlived their usefulness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember going up the line, the back road to uh, Sheffield from York, because the other line that goes mm. to Pontefract. Uh, and um, it was like being in a cloud. It was basically you couldn't see out the windows because it was like just the whole thing was clouded up. Yeah, yeah, just you like know? that mist that hangs yeah, over the and, over the veil. And it York, was yeah. just thinking, oh, this is interesting. I'll probably remember this for quite some time. <laughs> uh, but you know, if you, it reminded me of <coughs> a couple of the rural services you'd get in France in the days when there were still really very knackered old machines yeah. working them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think uh, I was on one. That still had a, um, a clear all screen on it. Uh, this was in Brittany, only about 20 years ago, and, uh, and it was an absolute knacker of a thing. And it reminded me of that, you know, that actually 
out of the sticks, you know, yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of anything goes. Yeah. Um, um, and occasionally, I mean, the Germans had those uh, uh, piglet taxis, the uh, single run. But I mean, I've, I've been on one of those in Germany on an ordinary service. The rail car, the, yeah. The, yeah, 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 the, yeah. The little red things, yeah. So, jumping from, from pacers to, to another thing, which is always a bit of a red flag for me in terms of railway history and, 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 and possible alternative futures, which is to do the Great Central. Uh, I, in, in two days in real world for us, but uh, a few episodes ago for you, lovely lot, hello everyone, um, I did an episode on what could have the British Rail Network and its intercity network could have looked like if we had had less of a, if we were less wedded to grouping structure and, and the main lines basically retaining, essentially in, in nationalisation era, we kind of retained that grouping yeah. structure. Now, could, if we hadn't had that, do you think more of the Great Central could and, sh- and should have been retained as part of a more strategic looking rail network rather than just that's the LMS main line, that's the, the, L- the, the LNER main line basically. Yeah, d- duplicated routes, yeah, yeah. I mean, say, it's a much better alignment for, for, for much further. Connecting, like going through Nottingham, for example, yeah, yeah. Is, is a much more effective, yeah. it, the, the alignment there is, uh, yeah. you know, and the actual curvature of the alignment, people say it's a high-speed route, not any more than the Great Western or the, or the, the Great no, Northern's Railway, but it's the connectivity it provided. Yeah, yeah, but it doesn't twist around all over the place like the Midland yeah, does. Yeah, so yeah. you can imagine coming, coming down that 125 mile an hour would yeah. not have been a problem. It's, so. yeah, you, you, you'd have, yeah, the, the, yeah, lots of bits of it that are pretty straight. There are element, I mean, the mile, the, the, the mile radius curves, you probably get 115 at, at a push. You probably squeeze a bit. If you, to be fair, a bit like they did on the Great Western, they yeah. eked quite a lot of the corners in, yeah. and on, and on the, 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 the Eastern region also did a bit of corner yeah. cutting. Yeah. We said we didn't have bypasses. We did have a little bit, but only really within the railway boundary. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, interesting. So, so opportunity. Okay, so. I mean, because I mean, uh, the regions, you know, be our Eastern region and whatever, yeah, uh, the regions still regarded them as that command structure yeah. um, you know right late on and um, so um, duplicate routes like Great Central which were always going to be a, a bit of an orphan because the reality is that a lot of the boards and therefore then the management structure were still of the pre-grouping yeah. bodies of which the Great Central was not well represented yeah yeah well it, the continuity is always greater than change in, yeah, yeah, in history yeah, yeah. Um, and that kind of leads on to the next question, which is, which is, okay, this is an anniversary year of beaching. I'm writing a piece about beaching right now. There's lots of discussion about beaching. Lots of it, it, it to my mind, will be a bit rose-tinted spectacles, a bit, uh, might be a little bit, the, whatever the opposite of hagiography is, it mm. might be a bit of that. For me, the, the bit of, the moment in history was not reshaping. It was the Transport Act 1962 that was the, the key moment where government enabled itself to close railways yeah. much more easily and without, without restriction. Do you, do you think Beeching was specifically lined up to take the fall? Or do you think that there was a, or, or do you think it was kind of, uh, there was just a necessity for the, 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 the board, you know, the, the newly formed British Railways boards, because it was ATC yeah. before that, it was the executive before that. The first chair of the board was always going to be the person who dealt with that. Or do you think it was, do you think it was not, do you think it was a weird historical side effect that Beeching ended up having his name against it? Government has had lots of reports presented to it, which it's then ignored. Yeah. So, why did it not ignore the Beeching report? Or why did it not... Um, it could have not implemented large parts of it yeah, yeah, if yeah. it wanted to. Yeah. But it didn't do that. And it didn't do that... Um, 
it seems to me for fairly obvious reasons. One is the car economy yeah. seemed to give full employment. Yeah. So with the ideas certainly floating around amongst advisors that railways were a thing of the past, Beeching was playing to the gallery of the people who were the decision makers. Yeah. And every time you had a major opposition group saying, no, this, your figures are wrong and this closure shouldn't happen, blah, 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 they were nearly always ignored. Mm. And round here, the classic is, of course, York, Beverly, yeah. Market. An incredibly Hull. busy commuter route yeah, in terms of multimodally. Like, yeah. so many people drive that road, and, and it it's horrible. Been, and it'd been modernised. The yeah, of, there's new signalling still there. You can see some one or two little fragments here and there. Most of it got very effectively yeah. picked up and reused, I'd imagine. Yeah, yeah. There are a couple of little location cases left over yeah. from the re-signalling that happened in, like, 1962. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And new trap materials and all sorts. It had yeah. the first automatic barriers on it. You know, I think it's figures were such that the actual line made... Uh, a profit, but the operation of it made a loss. They probably they sent the units to Leeds or somewhere to be fixed. Yeah, yeah. Um, and but once they'd insisted on closing it, they drove that closure yeah. through. Yeah, yeah. And that happened in quite a few places. Yeah. It's clearly some of them were, were hostages to fortune when it came to politics. The the classic is the difference between the, the midway uh, the Central Wales line. Yes. Which I think is now called the Heart of Wales Heart, Line, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, and the, the Borders Railway, yeah. the Waverley Route, the classic between those two. Um, but Comes down to electoral, ele the electoral map, and, yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah, 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 and, and and that's just bonkers because basically it's not a corporate view of, of what are your transport needs yeah. in your area. Yeah, exactly. And, and this and it's one of the things that I'm picking up is that in a way, Beeching did attempt to tackle some of those bigger yeah. questions of, well, the big question that most, that no one has tried to really ask since, which is, what are the railways for? Yeah, yeah. That, that key question, that key question that cuts across everything, yeah. is what are the railways for? And, and, and if you like, even potentially more strategically, how should the railways fit into the broader transport picture? Yeah. Where do they fit in UK PLC? Exactly. There's yeah. not enough people asking that question. Beeching asked that question, and he settled on, they fit into UK PLC, by rapid intercity routes, yeah. by a, um, bulk loads, and by containerisation. And he was right in all three of those yeah, points. Absolutely, yeah. Um, it's interesting you talk about the, the, and it's worth, and I've said this before, it's worth saying again the unions were not entirely, at the time, the unions were pro car because the car, exactly as you say, was seen as a way, yeah, yeah. In, in, a in an echo of the modern era where we think of pods and, 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 and technology as yeah. providing full employment and all yeah. this wonderful stuff, you know, all the discussion of yeah. like Web3, trash futury type stuff. Yeah. It's interesting, the same discussion happening then, car will provide us these utopias of pods whizzing yeah. around and That's traffic in towns then said, uh, no, well, this, this is bad, and then weirdly, government interpreted traffic in towns as an excuse to then build lots of the stuff traffic in towns said shouldn't happen. <laughs> like, like, don't, you'll end up with lots of dual carriageways through your towns, and then government went, hmm, yeah, you, do, okay. you, don't have, you don't have cost-benefit analysis either, do you, yeah, at that yeah, point? Yeah. So <clears throat> you don't really have a good way of judging. Not that, it's, not that that's necessarily used hugely well no, no, today but, anyway, but, but you're but, right, it, absolutely it, no analysis. As really. far as I know, the first what time that was applied was on Altrincham Manchester. Really? That late? And it, yeah. sa it saved Altrincham Manchester. Interesting. Bob, 
Why does nobody remember the Selby diversion? Because you just take it for granted. Yeah. You don't you don't <laughs> notice the fact that you've suddenly sped up. Yeah, <laughs> there's uh, suddenly this alignment is like Ooh. they go to Doncaster because it's really hard to remember coming over the Selby swing bridge and coming up to York. And I must have done that lots of times. Oh really it's almost I, erased itself. And I cannot remember. Selby, Selby, Swingbridge, and coming up by neighbour. I can't remember it's, it it's, at all. Yeah, yeah, we talk about Morpeth and the kink, but the idea that the East Coast Main Line had a, a similarly aggressive kink plus a literal break in the rails of Swingbridge yeah, yeah. before heading north, that's, it's almost, that was until 1983. I think I must have done it at least once, or several times, because I'm, I'm from the Wirral, I'm near Liverpool, but yeah, it's really hard to remember. And because, of course, these days you just, you know, you swing on to the Selby diversion mm. and things speed up. Uh, of course, all the Deltic fans out there, uh, there was the bridge, which is now out by Tesco's out Tadcaster Road there. Oh, yeah, yeah. And yeah. the Deltics weren't supposed to give it full power till they'd cleared the York limits. Because it's a two-stroke, isn't it? It's a two-stroke engine. So all the photographs all the of, of the Deltics with this great plume yeah, coming yeah, yeah, out, yeah, the, yeah. out the top, they're all taken out there. <laughs> and it's just where it's swinging the corner to go on what's now the cycle track. We talk about the Deltics and we talk about the, you know, one of the features of that route, um, uh, of the, the former route of yeah. the East Coast Main Line, was the HSTs. We've got yeah, yeah. a lovely one over there, yeah. roaring, roaring back and forth. We talked about the APT, if the APT had come about. Yeah. But in, in the other way around... Um, kind of two thoughts really if HST hadn't come about for whatever reason do you think firstly do you think it would have helped do you think it would have helped APT to, to succeed and do you think we'd have seen more rapid electrification had the HST not been a success no I, I think that misreads the 1980s really okay okay the 1980s was a really difficult period for the railways I mean to say Thatcher comes in in 79 She's no friend to the railways, mm. you know, socialism on wheels or whatever. And um, and once she goes through the Kharki election after the Falklands yeah, in 1983, yeah, yeah. you get all this privatisation. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to imagine, but they were going to close Marylebone. The idea was to close Marylebone in 1985 and make it into a bus station, right? Yeah. And that was the rail conversion league. Mm. And her doctor, Alan Waters, who was... Walters, he was um, one of our advisors. When one of his mates was one of the rail conversion league, so it's it's hard to imagine just how hostile mm. uh, government was um, towards the railways in that period of time. Since you talk about the, the bus conversion league, that 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 connection of market liberalism, privatisations into the current era of, of, of the market liberal lobbyists in, in Tufton Street. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting that one of their transport advisors at the Institute of Economic Affairs now uh, moved on, Richard Wellings, yeah. is fixated on the idea of bus conversions of well, railways. Well, oh, road conversions. Uh, road oh, no, conversions of, yeah, conversions of railways into yeah, roads yeah. Well, it's an old idea. You know, it's, it's, it's an old idea. I, I mean, fine. Let's yeah. live. Let's live in East Los Angeles. You know, yeah. I'm sure we'd all love that. Or, 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 yeah, or the the um, New Jersey Transit bus yeah. arrangement, which yeah. is bonkers levels of passenger provision on a commuter bus system. Yes, yeah. absolutely do that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's you know, unfortunately, that that kind of um, 
worship of um, America that's come through that, that, that political filter does not work in a country as old as this, which has got as many people in it as this country has, and which most of the centres are bad evil. Yeah. They just, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They just say, if you put a, you know, it's, it's not, it's not my thought. I, I, I come across it, but you could put a cloverleaf junction on the top of York, and there'd be nothing left. Yeah, within, <laughs> just the whole. Nothing of left within the city yeah, walls. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So you know, you'd be able to get, you know. There was a joke on the two Roddies years ago. Here's a map of Britain. You can see all the towns are bypassed. So you can drive every day, drive all day, and not get anywhere. You know, you know, the railways take you into the city centre. Yeah. They take masses of people in and out of places. Yeah, you, to replicate Thameslink's capacity in roads through London, which is what one of the things that advocates for turning ro railways into roads yeah. advocates for conversion of like Thames yeah. it's like do you know how many buses you'd require to carry 40,000 people in one direction yeah. on it just doesn't bear how yeah. many roads you'd need in no, London it, to do that, it, 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 that. it is just crazy especially the thing that swung now in the railway's favour and swinging that way is the decarbonisation agenda mm. and the decarbonisation agenda the easiest way to decarbonise is to get people out of their cars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A critical point. I mean, I, I like driving a car, but I generally, round York, use a bike. Yeah, as many things as as many ways you can incentivize people to choose the alternative, the better. Yeah, yeah. Um, so picking up on it, one of the things that I always found interesting was, was that you know eighty eight four zero zero one is is over yeah. in the corner, which has been very nice because it's, it's gorgeous. I think it looks, it's a fantastic <laughs> looking loco. Mm, uh, yes. Mechanically... Well, it, wasn't, it wasn't exactly the best Mechanically not, yeah, so not, not the best and poor old North British yeah. um, for all sorts of reasons. RIP. Um, the, the HST, Kenneth, Kenneth Range styled the HST fantastically yeah. modernly, whereas you look at all the electric locomotives and it took until the class 90 before you, or, or Badger, the 89 I yeah. suppose, it took until the, the, the class 90s before you started seeing angular streamlined styling on what was arguably the modern form of traction is do you think that view of diesel as actually being futuristic do you think, do you think that do you think that played into any of the policymakers' minds of, of like hst looked modern whereas actually the the electric locomotives which were much more modern seemed like the path do you think that played well, into it no, at all or I, is it just is that I, just a no, bit of I, aesthetic exploration i, I think that's aesthetics i mean the, the fact of the matter is grange did his job too well yeah yeah. Uh, because HS still, HST still looks modern. Yeah. You yeah. see one go through York, and if you'd stop somebody on the platform and said, do you know how old this is? Yeah, yeah. They wouldn't guess how old Can you imagine was. if they'd let Grange loose on the, on the uh, AC locomotives? Can you imagine? Like yeah, yeah you'd, you'd have got a better look. But again, the ACs... The thing is, they yeah, don't they, need streamlining because they're, they're so powerful. Yeah, but they, <laughs> yeah. they designed in the late 50s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so, you know, they were... Pretty good. I mean, the '87s in that boxy '70s style. I, I still think they look fantastic. But admittedly, if you compare them to their contemporary, if you compare to the kind of nominally contemporary HST, so, so there's, there's, well, HST is a little later. I you've suppose, got to compare it to a similar electric overseas. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. The French, um, the French styling on it's quite cool, is, but is really yeah. quite nice. Yeah. Germany, not so much. Yeah, that's true. They've they, they, that uh, big uh, round dome. And, look, and, and the Italians, yeah. the Italians look like they're uh, war department uh, electrics from that period. <laughs> My God, I've got a number. 
Just no, that's all right. Bob's a, Bob's a man in, 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 in demand. Go so, back to the electric. So, go back to electric. So, um, yeah, they had that, yeah, there's that comparison. The, the, the Italian look versus the German versus the, the, the UK look. Actually, um, uh, British Rail Design is a, a good, I finally got that book. And it, yeah. it's interesting because it talks about the design process that went into designing the cab yeah, fronts yeah. and the aesthetics yeah. of, these, of these fantastic locomotives. Yeah. Wilton um, Ashmore. Yes, yeah, exactly. And then the design. Wilton Ashmore behind me. Yes. Well, yeah, we've got the, the, the glorious British Rail Blue and, and uh, Rail Symbol. Now, probably retrospectively, you have to call it Rail Symbol One. Now that Rail Symbol Two is out in the out in the in the sphere, it's a they've corrected. Like uh, Nick Job, as in Double Hour on Twitter, has yeah. was given control of Rail Symbol to, to create Rail Symbol Two, which is it's the same but just corrected for the modern digital age. Right. Slightly different aspect ratio, like fractionally different aspect ratio. Right, right, uh, okay. I'll send you I'll send you a link to, to yeah. a blog that goes into detail. It's loving lovingly slightly tweaked to just. It's very hard to remake a classic. It is, it, it, exactly. A lot of people say that arguably the first one isn't, that you'll never reach the aesthetic sublime of the rail symbol. Right. There's, there's always a, a perfect rail symbol up there. Yeah. Anyway, the last, talking of the, the rail symbol, we're going to talk about its demise, or rather its lack of demise. Um, a, a, lot of people, a lot of people have been talking about the Railways Act 1993 recently, and the question I've kind of got, because there's all sorts of things you can discuss, the thing I find interesting to explore, and we talked a bit about some of that market liberalism, yeah, the yeah. idea that, that, that of as many interfaces as possible is the best way to have, a, to, to have a system. Do you think, how likely do you think it is that we could have had a different structure, a, a structure, say, more like the German structure is now of kind of, you know, more, you know, of, of a of a single, you know, single type operator with maybe some open access. Well, do, the, how the, close the, do the, we get to a different model? UK privatisation, um, I think Majus uh, wanted to see this sort of big four return. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, a vertically integrated system, which is what the Japanese have. Yes. Um, and the Japanese, of course, they broke their railways up across the very long archipelago that is Japan. Mm. So JR East, JR West, JR Central, and then there's the two other ones. Yeah. Um, so two of them, I think, still, still run by the state. Uh, and the, the, the three heart ones are private companies but vertically integrated yes. so they've got massive amounts of money to invest and of course they control the land on which their railway sits and of course when Railtrack came out at one stage they were selling themselves as, as a, uh, a land portfolio <laughs> yeah they're like Oh no, we're a contract management strategy organisation. No, no, we're a land portfolio holder. Oh, yeah, we're, we're, we're like we have, we have, anything but an engineering organisation. We have a property portfolio, yeah. and 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 basically, you thought, hang on, this is just going to be asset stripping of, of key land banking that runs right through every city you could name in the UK, and it means in the city centres. Well, you know, maybe we'll put a, you know, we don't need Liverpool Street, we'll just put a tower block over it. Oh, somebody's come up with that idea. Yeah, it's still it? happening. Uh, unfortunately, anyway, that mindset still but that, exists. that kind yeah. of thing, you know, is off the back of it. And at the same time, because you had this real strange set of contractual arrangements, so to run a train, you know, you needed an agreement with the people that owned the rolling stock, an agreement with the the people that uh, owned the track and you needed a path to run it on and then you needed the government agreement to have yeah. the whole thing tied together 
it's just the lawyer's charter. Yeah, and it yeah. just leeches money out of the system. Uh, but it also it is a break on innovation. It's very hard to As slot. we talked about, that, that fragmentation. It's yeah. a very hard to slot an extra train in, yeah. even if you can find the rolling stock to do it. Um, and would they have been better vertically integrated? Well, frankly, been better to save the money and not privatise at all. Yeah, because it has not been saved. Because it's cost UK PLC our fortune. It's cost every single taxpayer in the UK our fortune. I've never seen the figure properly uh, analysed, but it's a lot. Yeah. And and the end of the day, you would end up with a system which a late BR period, you know, John Priddo was running Intercity at a profit. Yep. And, uh, As I've said, BR was the most, or certainly one of, in fact, Dr. David Turner wrote about this, uh, he was up here earlier, yeah. um, one of the most uh, efficient railways in terms of the ratio of operating subsidy to, to, yeah. to input in Europe. You yeah. know, it's running at 20% subsidy per, per passenger mile, you know, yeah. like yeah, yeah. lower than yeah. Yeah, yeah, all yeah. of Western Europe. Yeah. Right? It, it, Very it, impressive. That was thrown away. Yeah. That was thrown away. And then um, instead of which you had this very Byzantine structure, which, bless them, the railway people tried to work. Yeah. Well, ultimately, it's a f- like the, that frontline delivery mindset generally exists in most railway people of our aim is to, no matter what we're being th- having thrown at us, we want to get people and things yeah, moving. Yeah, yeah, keep, keep, keep the trains running. And uh, I always used to think that if something went wrong um, and you could see the platform hosts or whatever they're called wandering around and talking to each other on radios and phones and all this stuff. and the one person quietly cutting through all this to try and sort it out I always call it the ghost of BR oh really? yeah because generally they're, 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 they're BR grads BR, ex- grads, BR yeah, graduate yeah, yeah. scheme yeah, yeah it's, gradually faded, yeah. it's gradually it fading out there's still you know there's still a few of the heroes of the industry you're yeah. very much ex, ex- BR graduates yeah. uh, scheme and, and, and there are plenty of people who still think that that scheme needs to return in uh, and, and should return and likewise the, the, the pan railway apprenticeship yeah. scheme as well, well you know the, um, um, the the traffic apprentice script scheme it's the northeastern railway it's it's gib you know and it yeah. comes right the way through uh, um, and you think well if it ain't broke don't fix it and and, and it wasn't broken it was and, fun- and, 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 and it wasn't broken but the problem was it's pr was not conveying that message. Mm. That message was not cutting through that actually, if you drop this, you're not going to get something better. You're going to get something worse. Yeah. And it took things like Hatfield before people woke up to it. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Those, those kind of four serious, yeah. very, you know, it's, there's an interesting bit of, re- you, know, you can look at the safety, the safety trajectory did improve post privatization. Uh, you know, part of that is because it was improving anyway. Yeah, was, part yeah. of it was the general legislative way that Britain functioned, changed yeah. the way that risk was managed. But that doesn't change the fact that there were multiple very public, very messy, uh, fatal derailments, yeah. which were as a result of that, yeah. in various different ways, as a result of that, yeah, that yeah. change, yeah. the fragmented uh, industry. And, and you're right, and, and hence rail tracks demise, yeah. hence the change in the interaction yeah. between different elements of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that feels like okay, a slightly down, downbeat <laughs> closing part, but actually, it's, it's interesting to explore that. And and, and we're, you know that discussion is very much an open one at the moment. Okay, what you know, what struck you know, there are parts of government going actually that model was the right one. And yeah. yes, okay, maybe you sneak a few more private elements of it, but actually that vertical structure is the right one. 
versus the people like, no, the reason why privatization didn't work is because we didn't do it pure, it wasn't a pure enough form of market liberalization and actually, so that well, treasury no, are not going to let go of, of their structure. They, as, the, as the authors of the Railways Act 93, they're not going to let go of it Well, the, the treasury, the uh, inward investment is the Green Book. Yeah. And the metrics in the Green Book are clearly wrong. Yeah. And I cannot understand why the railway press and some of the more um, uh, sensible members of the media did not realise at the point where the borders railway opened just how wrong yeah. they were. The numbers were so far off. Yeah. So yeah. far off. And the it, I mean, if you want to understand why rail investment works, go to the borders. Yeah. And basically, you know, when you had the economists in uh, Edinburgh University saying this is a, um, a um, Scottish um, Parliament vanity project. And at one stage, the cost-benefit analysis saying 0.5. For every pound you spent on it, you only get 50p back. And is here it, it is, having fundamentally changed the attitudes of, of residents, tourists, businesses. Yeah, and and, and, and the, as I say, and the, in that, that, those metrics must be wrong. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and, and therefore, it's a massive break on the development, the positive development of UK economy and therefore UK society. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what I would go at. Yeah. And that somebody needs to do the work on that because I'm afraid I don't have yeah. the time. There is, well, one of the things I'm, I'd love to do is dive into academia and really unpick that. Yeah. Um, this, well, that, that feels like a good, a good point to pause. So, firstly, um, everyone listening in audio-only form, thanks, thanks for listening. Um, everyone, uh, so the, the usual plugs of... Uh, Patreon, patreon.com slash Gareth Dennis. The, um, I have to do all of this off the top of my head, which, oh, right, is, right. which I'm very rubbish at. Um, the, the, um, you can also do uh, paypal.me slash Gareth Dennis to throw abuse, coins, whatever you fancy at me. Um, and uh, the Discord servers where the YouTube chat that's been happening continues uh, unabated. Uh, next week's episode will be something that I haven't confirmed yet, but it will be future me will tell you now what it is. Yes, it'll be Luke Agbimini joining us. Um, in, in fact, I've just literally pre-recorded it now, and it was brilliant fun. Uh, episode 155, Perfection and Imperfection on the Underground. Yes, uh, a, a, a marvellous visual exploration of London's transport networks. Not to be missed. Marvellous. Um, this episode was brought to us as a, as a way of an outro. This episode is episode 154. Yeah. There was a class 154. I think possibly the test bed... I think it was maybe a test, I think it was a 150 that they oh, called right. 154 and it was testing the stuff for the 156. I think that's what the 154 was. I'm now going to correct myself if I'm speaking rubbish, but that's off, off my brain of what I think the 154 was. And um, after that little bit of uh, nonsense, uh, Bob, it only remains for me to say thank you so much for giving me absolutely ages of time. I need to not wibble this microphone around and right. my watch is on that. Yeah. However long it's been, it's been ages. That's, that was so, I enjoyed that so much. Okay. It, very, very much a historical odyssey that's of a, all sorts. That's a totally Gareth. I like this kind of you know, brain stretches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. All, all over the place. Anyway, good evening, everyone. Cheerio.